0: Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are finishing up a series of sermons we've been working our way through over the last few episodes, and that series has been called Parables. So over the last few episodes, we've been examining some of Jesus's best known parables to see what they can teach us about who we are, about who God is, and about how we're supposed to live our lives. In today's episode, we're exploring what may be the most well-known of all of Jesus's parables, the parable of the prodigal son. But even though this parable is called the prodigal son, it's really not about the son. It's about the father. So, let's pay attention and see what this father can teach us about how God feels about every one of us. Let's get right into this episode sermon. So, over the last few weeks, we've been exploring some of the parables that Jesus taught us in the gospels. But do you know what we haven't done over the last few weeks? We haven't actually stopped to talk about what the word parable means. Now, as you've probably already figured out over the last couple of sermons, the word parable is a word that we use pretty often in the church. And that's especially true when it comes to the way that we talk about what and how Jesus taught. But what exactly is a parable? Well, we could try an academic approach to answering that question. And I could tell you that if you grabbed a book like this one right here, the New Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible, that you would learn that the word parable is a transliteration of the Greek word parabole, which literally means something is cast alongside another, which signifies that there is some sort of comparison. But if you're like most people, the very use of words like transliteration in Greek well, they're enough to make you tune it out immediately. So I think we need to try to find another way to understand what parables are. So to help us do that, to help us understand what parables are, I thought I'd do what I usually do when the language of the church, something that I occasionally like to refer to as church ease, gets a little too difficult to understand. I like to turn to this book here. It's called crazy book, a not-so-stuffy dictionary of biblical terms, to see what the authors have to say about a particular subject. So this is the way that the authors define a parable. They say, a parable is a story not only with a point, but with a skewer. A parable is a story designed not to be entertaining or amusing or to pass on family history. It's a story with a point. In fact, biblical parables are often pointed. You might say they have a lance-like point, a sort of gotcha moment, when we realize that the story has in fact punctured us. So the easiest way to define a parable is to say that a parable is a story with a point that hits hard. And that's definitely the case when it comes to the parable that we're going to be taking a closer look at today. Today, we're going to be taking a closer look at what is quite possibly the most famous parable that Jesus ever told. So that means that this is a story that anyone who grew up in and around the church has heard countless times before. And it's a story that has been the subject of more sermons than you or I could possibly imagine. But regardless of how many times we've read or heard this particular parable before, it continues to be one of the most powerful stories that Jesus ever told. We find this parable in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. So let's take a closer look at it together. Here's what it says. Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterwards, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? But I'm starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. So take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because the son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. In is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your brother has arrived, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious, and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, Look, I've served you all these years, and I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So this, of course, is the parable that we call the prodigal son. And it's a parable that can pull us in almost instantly because this parable is filled with interesting and compelling characters that it's easy for us to relate to. That's why just about every time that I've ever heard this particular passage of Scripture preached, the pastor always asks the same question. And here's that question. Which character are you? So, which character are you? Which character did you relate to when you just listened to the story? Did you relate to the youngest son, the one that we call the prodigal son? The one who blew through an inheritance, wasting it on extravagances in life? Are you the kind of person who prefers to act first and then think about the consequences later on? Or maybe you've squandered the things in life that you've been blessed with. So, are you like the prodigal son? Well, of course you are, because we are all like the prodigal son. We're all like the prodigal son. We've all put ourselves first. We've all let our selfishness get the better of us. We've all squandered the blessings that we've been given. We've all alienated ourselves from people who love us. And we've all done it for no good reason at all. But the prodigal son, well, he isn't the only compelling character in the story. There's also his older brother. Now, the older brother has worked hard and has been loyal his entire life. The older brother has been responsible. He knows what's been expected of him, and he has done it. He's always played by the rules, and it's clear that he doesn't appreciate it when other people break those rules. That's why the older brother gets angry when he finds out that his little brother is welcomed home with open arms after he has squandered everything his father gave him. The older brother just can't understand why he's never received as much as a pat on the back or an attaboy, for all that he's done when his no good little brother is welcomed home like some kind of conquering king. And we've all felt just like this older brother too, because this brother has done everything that we as people of faith and followers of Jesus has been told to be wise. The older brother, he works hard. He keeps his nose down. He's responsible. So the older brother is supposed to be the one that gets ahead in life. But in this story, The older brother gets nothing, while his younger brother gets his share of his father's estate and a great big old party, even after he's wasted his entire inheritance. And you know what? That's not fair. And being fair matters. So when you take your car into the dealership to have it serviced, you want to know that your mechanic is being fair and not trying to rip you off just because you can't tell the difference between a carburetor or a catalytic converter. Or, if you ever find yourself in a courtroom, you want to believe that the scales of justice aren't tipped one way or the other because the other person can afford a better attorney than you can. Or, when you go out for a job interview, you want to believe that you have the same chance as anyone else of landing that position. So, you get upset and angry when you find out that the company decided that they were going to hire the boss's nephew over more qualified candidates like yourself. In this world, being fair matters. So in the eyes of the older brother, it's foolish to reward the prodigal son at the end of the story. But you know what? As compelling as both the younger brother and the older brother are in this story, this story isn't actually about either one of them. So that's one of the reasons why I find it Kind of funny that we call this story the parable of the prodigal son. Now, the other reason why I find it kind of funny that we call this story the parable of the prodigal son is because I have never, never heard anyone use the word prodigal in my entire life unless they were talking about this story. So most of us, we have no idea what the word prodigal even means. And just for the record here, the word prodigal means wasteful or recklessly extravagant just in case you were wondering. But the real reason why it seems funny to me to call this story the parable of the prodigal son is because this story isn't about the son. You see, the parable of the prodigal son is actually the third story in a series that Jesus tells to make a particular point. So to understand what point Jesus is making, we need to hit rewind and go back to the beginning of this section in the Gospel of Luke. So here's how this section begins in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says, All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So, as this section in the Gospel of Luke begins, the Pharisees and legal experts, they cannot believe that Jesus is hanging out with people that they refer to as sinners. So, Jesus is going to explain to the Pharisees and the legal experts why he's hanging around with the people he's hanging around with. So, Jesus tells them the parable of the lost sheep, and then he tells them the parable of the lost coin, and then he tells them the parable of the prodigal son. But here's the thing. The focus of these parables isn't on the lost sheep or the lost coin or even the lost son that we read about in the parable of the prodigal son. The point of these three parables is the extent that the person who has lost the sheep and lost the coin and lost the son will go to define what's been lost and then how they celebrate once they have found them. And there's another story that my mind always wanders to whenever I read this parable of the prodigal son that helps drive home that point to me. It's a story told by Vince Antonucci, who pastors a church in Las Vegas and also is the author of the book, I Became a Christian and All I Got Was This Lousy T-Shirt. And I've shared this story with you before, but I want to share it with you again right now. So here's how Vince tells the story. A few summers ago, my wife and I and our then five-year-old son and two-year-old daughter went to Water Country, USA, which is a big old water park not far from where we live. They have a bunch of huge kiddie pools there, each has slides and all kinds of fun stuff like that. So we played in one of the kiddie pools for a while, then we walked about 200 yards over to the next one. My kids were repeatedly going down one of the big slides, and my wife walked over to the other side of that pool where they had a big mushroom head shower. Now, eventually my son Dawson asked, where's mommy? She's over there by that mushroom water shower thing, I answered. Can I go get her? He asked. Sure, I answered, go ahead. Now, about five minutes later, I grabbed my daughter by the hand and said, let's go get mommy and Dawson. So we went over to the mushroom shower thing, and my wife, Jen, was still under it, but she was all by herself. So I asked her, Jen, where's Dawson? She said, Vince, what are you talking about? I sent Dawson over here like five minutes ago. Vince, I haven't seen him. So I started looking around the kiddie pool, and I didn't see him. I thought, don't freak out, Vince. He's here. He's wearing uh, a blue bathing suit. So I started looking for a blue bathing suit. No. Okay, he has light brown hair. No. See, on one of the slides? No. So I screamed out, Dawson! It had now been over 10 minutes since we had seen our son. And I continued to look. Soon it had been over 15 minutes, and I started totally freaking out, like hyperventilating freaking out. The kiddie pool was in sort of a valley at the park, so I I ran up to a hill uh, so I could stand on the sidewalk and have a better view of the whole pool. And I looked down, but he wasn't there. And my heart was racing and my throat was clenching up and my head was pounding. And I looked again, but he wasn't there. I looked up the sidewalk to the left, but no. And I looked at the sidewalk to the right, but no. I looked at the pool again, but no. It had now been 20 minutes. So I looked at the sidewalk to my left again, and I saw the flash of a blue bathing suit among the hundreds of people. And I squinted, and I saw the light brown hair, and I called out, Dawson! Dawson! And the blue bathing suit with the light brown hair was about 50 yards away from me, and I yelled, Dawson! Dawson! Finally, the child in that blue bathing suit with the light brown hair looked up, and it was my son. was Dawson. He saw me and his face went white and I ran toward him and he ran toward me and dove into my arms. Where were you? I asked. I went to find mommy, he said. I thought she was at the pool we were at before. I said, you went all the way to that other pool by yourself? And I held him tight and I suddenly realized that what I had just experienced for a few brief moments must be somewhat like God's entire existence. Now, as a father myself, there are few situations I can imagine that are more terrifying than not knowing where my child is. Even as I just shared this story, my heart was beating a little bit faster and my palms feel a little clammy right now. And I had to fight with myself to keep from looking around my office searching for this missing child. Because I got to tell you, I really just wanted to crane my neck and look around every which way to help this dad find his kid wearing that blue bathing suit with the light brown hair. And then like Vince, I have to pause and I have to think that this is how God searches for all of God's children. God loves us so much that God is constantly searching for us, even in the depths of our sin. And God won't stop seeking us until we're found. God won't stop seeking us until we're found. And once we're found, you better believe that God is going to celebrate. He's going to welcome you home just like the father in the parable of the prodigal son welcomed his wandering son home. But we don't see each other that same way. We're much more like the older brother. We're not out frantically searching for people who are lost. We don't have the same urgency because we've already been found. But the truth is, just because God found us, it doesn't mean that others aren't still lost. Just because God found us, that doesn't mean that others aren't still lost. And the renowned author, Ernest Hemingway, he once told a story that drives this point home. He writes about a Spanish father who decided to reconcile with his son who had run away from home and ended up in Madrid. The father now regretted the way that he behaved, so he decided to take out an ad in a local newspaper in Madrid. His ad read simply, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Your dad. Now, you may not be aware of this, but Paco is actually a pretty common name in Spain, and his father soon realized this as well. You see, when the dad went to the hotel at noon on Tuesday, he found 800 young men named Paco waiting there, hoping to meet with their father. The truth is there are far more than 800 people that are still meeting to meet their father, God, today. And God wants to meet them every bit as much as the father in the parable wanted his son to come back home. But here's the challenging part for you and for me, for those of us who have already been found. We know the way to the home that people are seeking. We know the path that will lead people to God. But what we have to figure out is if we're as desperate to help them find their way back to God as this father was who was searching for his missing son at a water park or the, story, or the father in the story of the prodigal son. And what we need to realize is that the true beauty of God's grace is that it makes life not fair. Because none of us has earned the right to be sought out by God. God will always search for us. God's grace will always welcome us home, even when we are the prodigal children. So I want to ask you again, when you hear the story of the prodigal son, which character do you relate to? Are you like the prodigal son? Have you wandered so far from God that you cannot find your way back home? Well, if that's you, I want to encourage you to reach out to our church so that I can talk with you and begin a conversation with you about how you can find your way back home. You can find our contact information on our church website if you're worshiping with us there, or you can leave a comment if you're worshiping with us on Facebook or on YouTube right now. And if you're not like the prodigal son, then are you like the older brother? Are you upset and angry with God, that God welcomes anyone and everyone back home with open arms? Do you wonder how God can be so gracious and merciful? Do you feel like it's just not fair? Well, if that's you, I wanna encourage you to spend some time examining yourself. I want you to think about why it is that you feel some people don't deserve the same mercy and grace that God has extended to you. Because here's the reality. If God is willing to show you his grace and his mercy and his love, God is willing to show that to anyone and everyone. So you need to be willing to do it too. So which character are you? Are you a prodigal child that's lost and needs to be found? are you the older child who's struggling because you feel like the love and the grace of God just isn't fair? Think about that. Pray about that and realize realize who God is, and that God will always love all of us, will always seek each of us out, will never give up, never give up on any of us. Now let's pray together. God, we thank you for the time that we've had together today and the opportunity we've had to worship you, and we just thank you so much for this story of the prodigal son and what it tells us about who you are, God. This story tells us that there is no such thing as, as being too far removed from you, God. You are always waiting for us, waiting for us to turn back to you. And you're going to welcome us back with open arms, God. So allow us to feel the same way about other people. Let us realize that there is no one that you do not love, no one that you do not show your mercy and your grace to, God. And God, for those people right now who are like the prodigal son, who have wandered away from you, my prayer is that you help, help them find their way back home to you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning into this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's sermon has challenged you to think about how God really feels about you and about the way you feel about other people. Now, next week, we've got something brand new planned for you. So I hope that you'll come back and join us next Sunday afternoon at 12 o'clock when our next episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And I also want to invite you to come and worship with us anytime that you have the chance. You can join us at 1030 a.m. Eastern Time at com slash live. Hope that you guys have a great week this week, and we will see you back here next Sunday for another sermon podcast.